Welcome, everybody, to the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience for June 9th, 2022. This is the week of WWDC, and so Brian, I'm going to start there, and then we're going to have a special guest later on in the show to talk about uh, a new raise in the NFT space. Okay, with that, so Brian, you just mentioned that it sounds like I'm a mile away or at least a foot away from my mic, but I'm actually very close to it. I think the difference is that I am now recording from a shed in my backyard oh. next to the house that I just purchased. Hey, congratulations. So, thank you. I am now a homeowner, which is a terrible, or not terrible, a terrifying idea because now I'm on the hook for 30 years to pay back this massive loan that I just took out. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I feel like I finally have grown up enough to, like, to commit to something. And that's, that's the first thing. I, I'm not trying to blow up your spot that much, but I, in, in the Oakland area, the Bay area. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oakland. Um, just outside of Berkeley, actually next to Berkeley. Well, uh, you know, congratulations. Uh, as I think we've discussed before, that's something that I've not been brave enough to do since, uh, since the last time, 2008, maybe I sold my house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, 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 and and as I said to you, I was the definition of when I bought my house in 2005, I was the definition of a uh, subprime (laughs) loan taker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I I don't, I literally, I believe I didn't put anything down, not a dollar down. Think about that. Wow. I mean, that blows my mind having gone through what I just went through. Mm -hmm. Um, that you would that well one that there was a deal like that like what an amazing deal but also oh my god like no wonder there was the whole you know housing crisis yeah well anyways your wife was very helpful um in helping us to ask all the right questions um i did the whole process without a realtor and so i had to become kind of a um what's it called like a a, like a novice amateur realtor which probably isn't a thing but um, (laughs) the whole process took a month man a month like hmm. it was fast did you uh, uh, I, I know this is totally off topic but um was it competitive like uh you were there other people like outbidding you and stuff like that like you hear these days no so well i i gotta say like this house it, it's it's an amazing house and uh we found it actually before it went on the market and so uh, my partner joe saw it and it was on craigslist and uh, I guess it had been rented previously. And so the owners, they just were over it. They didn't want to rent anymore. They wanted to sell it. Um, also, given market dynamics or whatever. And so um, we actually reached out before it went on the market. And just, we liked the seller. The seller was also the lister. And so that actually made things simpler. Um, because he was also our fiduciary in the process. Anyways, we didn't like get into the details. But I learned a lot in this process. More than I thought I ever would know. Um and and it was a lot easier ultimately than I than I expected. I always thought that buying a house would take like six months or six years or just like I would be out there for a long time having exactly the kind of like bidding war process that you described. But once we got going, we were just like, no, this is the house. Like let's let's do it. Let's, you know. So that's what happened. Well, I I give you credit for wrapping Web two point zero by finding it on Craigslist, though. So you know, <laughs> it's like Web one point five. You know, um, Craig, Craig Newmark is somebody that, um, I've never had for the internet history podcast that has always been there, like 
I've had the opportunity He's to talk to him. To, yes. It, right. I, I met him and he used to reply to my tweets and uh, I sent him an email about something and he's not available. Yeah. No, that's the thing is it, it, it's sort of been there in the background in the past, but it's not easy to put together. And especially now I feel like he does not give, there's no more F's for him to give. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he's fine. Yeah. He's, done. Yeah, yeah. he's got bigger fish to fry. One of these days, uh, maybe we'll do that, but, okay, um, so yeah, go on. News of the week. Yeah. Well, um, it was dub dub as they say, mm-hmm. um, before I hit some of the things that, um, I thought were interesting from dub dub, uh, did you watch it? What were your impressions uh, just generally? Yeah, so I actually rewatched it, or I was sort of like watching on Twitter and other places um, the day of on Tuesday. And then um, last night, I made myself a nice martini and watched it on 2x speed <laughs> to get through it. Um, and I'm glad I watched it at that rate because it was, um, you know, it wasn't a showstopper. There's a bunch of like interesting good stuff in there. You you can tell this is sort of like almost like a um like a, in the middle year um between maybe big update cycles. You know, there was no car. There were still no augmented reality glasses. You know, it's still very much focused on the legacy of um you know the conventional desktop and tablet and phone form factor, and that's what we're sticking with for a little while longer. Um, you know, still getting more juice out of that M2 chip and uh so, you know, in that sense, it was, it was fine. Well, uh, I wasn't like blown away. Like I've been recently. Really? Well, you asked me that, uh, offline and I gave you a six out of 10. I, I feel like yeah. there's, there's been other Apple events that I was more underwhelmed by, but for sure not doing, um, I don't know what, what's the term that it's not AROS or something like that. Not this would have been in theory, a good time to um, get get developers ready for this. So it is interesting mm-hmm. to me that they didn't at least do a one more thing. I'm not saying that they would have like you know brought mm-hmm. the, the the headset out, but you could have prepped developers for what is coming. Um, especially because we have heard a lot behind the scenes that you know they're working like uh, i don't know that did i do the story about how john favreau has apparently been tasked with uh, creating some sort of content for this sort of thing it, it, like this would john favreau uh, the offline guy uh no the 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 guy that does all the star wars stuff the the swingers guy that, that john favreau. yeah yeah there's two of them okay there is two uh-huh. john favreaus that that is very pertinent <laughs> you're right um <laughs> Uh, anyway, like there's, there's a lot of fire or s- smoke there that says that there's fire in the background. Um, so well, it's definitely happening. It, well, for sure. OS things, you know, it's there, they're clearly working on it. Um, I just, I wonder if it's, if it's supply chain, if it's, mm. you know, well, that, the that, of the hardware, if it's, that's what I'm saying is that I don't know if we should read anything into the fact that they didn't use this as a little tee up thing. Um, as I said on the show, you know, when they do announce it, I'm pretty sure in the same way that, you know, the watch was the last uh, new product line that they did. And they would probably, uh, you know, maybe do its own event for a new product line. Um, 
but still, um, you know, it, this is more than the watch for sure. This would be a product that um, you'd want to prep developers for. I mean, the, the thing is, like, it needs to, however they bring it out, you know, both the car and the glasses, they need to actually kind of, like, present the narrative and the story in a way that kind of deviates or sort of breaks from, I think, a lot of the, you know, conventional use cases and expectations, right? I mean, more and more, like, it seems like Oculus and VR are becoming, you know, enterprise products. Like that's where there's product market fit. Whereas for end users, there's games, but it's it's trying to be social, but it's not quite there. And I think Apple really wants whatever product they put out there to be something that you would wear in the real world. That, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's being together with, a, with other people and having shared experiences, th- there was, if you listen to the language in a lot of the DubDub um, sessions, which you can get in the uh, Apple developer app, they talk a lot about, you know, co-presence and being around other people and, you know, active consumption versus passive consumption. So there's a whole language around the experience design of these products. And I think Apple is starting to, like, tee those ideas up. And yeah. so whatever event they do that releases the glasses, I don't think it can be, like, a one more thing, like a tag on. Like, it's going right. to be, like, here's the future of computing as we see it, and here's how you participate in it. And in this future, there will be continuous authentication, you know, so like the passkey thing is kind of relevant and interesting, you know, in this world, you'll be authenticated once and through your biometrics, we'll know who you are and you'll just be able to like interact with, you know, a world around you. I, I talked about this conspiracy theory months ago, but. Right. Can I, I put, put a pin in that real that. quick, put a pin in that yeah. real quick because uh, I'll, I'll come back to it in a second, but um, it, as I tried to mention in the show, um, the stuff that they're doing with maps, stuff, stuff that they're doing with, uh, mm-hmm. the dictation stuff, which they, you know, think about it. Why would they spend yeah. a lot of time talking about dictation and things like that? Well, because what's the interface going to be if you're wearing something on your face? Um, so yeah, I mean, the keyboard has to go away. Right? Yeah. And Siri was supposed to be kind of the, the partner in that process. Siri didn't really get any mentions. Uh, they talked about Spotlight as, you know, their search engine. And that's something that I think is very important. Um, for their, you know, their advertising model, you know, on desktop, but yeah, there wasn't a whole, a whole lot. Except for the fact that there, you, you can see, as I said, some of the things they're, they're teeing up sort of training users to expect, uh, certain apps to work a certain way, which they would want them to work in, in an AR environment. Do you have a specific example? Um, uh, sort of the translation dictation thing, the maps multi-stop routing thing. Like, you know, it, 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 even the, I mean, this is maybe too much Kremlinology, but even the fact that Siri hasn't, you know, people have made this point for years now that Siri hasn't had a major upgrade. When, uh, when they come out with the AR thing, i I think you're going to see like Siri have a friggin' generational change in, in, in things that it can do and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> well, actually, you know, to that point, one of the things that I was paying like close attention to is their new shared with you API. And they also have essentially activity streams and activity feeds mm, built mm. into a number of the products across Ventura um, and it's Ventura, right? Uh, iOS 16. Yeah. And, you can see the contours of the Apple social network becoming much clearer. And it's very interesting the way that they're doing this because it's so under the radar and it's very much focused on kind of small group sharing and collaboration. 
And that seems, you know, I'm not going to like go too out on the limb here, but relative to all the complaints about, you know, Facebook being a monopoly, this is a very clear example of how Apple can disrupt and interrupt Facebook's relationship to its customers, obviously Meta. But in the sense that if Apple builds that social network and the social network is based in your contacts and your address book, and then you can share or collaborate with people in all of Apple's apps, and that those collaboration features are being rolled out and made available to developers, you're going to be using people in your contacts in your address book to connect and to network, um, and you're going to obviate the need for any third-party social network. So I find those APIs to be very, very important and very relevant, especially because when it comes to Siri, you can use those activity streams to understand who you're interacting with to improve the social graph that will live ultimately in your address book. Um, this is a joke that three people will get, but um, you cowards, you, you should have named it Ventura Highway a la the um, America song uh, from the 70s. Um, <laughs> people got that. Yeah. What's, uh, what's the thing I just told you to put a pin in? Uh, oh, no, I forgot. Yeah, we both did forget. Okay. All right. Let's, let's do a quick thing. Um, uh, what did you think of the MacBook Air? Um, which I will say, uh, for my part, um, you know, again, they're, they're, they're discontinuing support for people like me that sat on the last 2015, 2016, uh, MacBooks that <laughs> we held on to because mm-hmm. they screwed up MacBooks for so long. So, um, eventually I'll have to get that, uh, uh, MacBook Air, but, um, I like the design. Um, I like the M2 chip. Any, any thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I'm still wondering is ultimately, and I think this is a big question, like what are desktop apps? What are iOS mobile apps? Um, yeah, you know the the form factor obviously of the air is becoming closer and closer to a kind of you know it it, it looks like the keyboard. it looks like a sandwich of two iPad airs yeah. at this point yeah yeah so uh, in terms of the future of the Mac and the future of iOS devices and iPad OS it's still obviously they're targeting those things at different you know sort of price points and tiers and different use cases but in terms of the software that runs within it. It seems like there's a coalescing that's happening that feels just, I don't know, it makes me a little nervous. So the hardware is great. Um, Wait, the, 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 multi, the multitasking class. makes you nervous? What do you, what do you mean it makes yeah. you nervous? Yeah, like the stage manager, right? Mm. So now you have this way of managing apps in sort of this preview-style tab system on the left-hand side, and then you've also got the dock. Like, those two things don't make sense to sort of coexist. I mean, I'm sure they do kind of make sense, but not really. Not in sort of like the Apple way where it's sort of like, this is the one way to, you know, create this functionality for you. And we're, we're, talking, we're, we're talking about Mac OS, right? Because on the well, Mac... OS. Oh, well, okay, so, okay. On the Mac OS side, like, you know, Spaces is still their greatest innovation, and yet they can't help themselves. There's like five different ways to do like spaces right yeah there's mission control yeah there's yeah, yeah there's all these different ways of like doing your app switching and managing windowing right which you know once you have multiple displays it makes sense well you know so I mean? but so let me so on the ipad os thing which is mm-hmm. i think what you were talking about um the mm-hmm. the multitasking and things like this like you know everyone's like uh mac os is is moving 
towards iPad or no. Yeah. Or moving towards iPad OS. But at this point, like if you can do overlapping windows, which is a funny thing to say, Oh, this is an innovation. You can overlap windows. But I mean, why are we still pretending the, the, the hardware is the same. Like, let's just like, like the, the fact that it, at, at this point, iPad OS and Mac OS should just be identical. And the fact that they're still keeping hands tied behind backs is, I don't know, annoying. And that's a little bit what I'm saying. Yeah. I think I'm personally apprehensive about that future because I do so much work on my Mac and I love my Mac and I love Mac OS. And so moving over to a mostly mobile-based platform, you know, like freaks me out. I remember like the reason why I was actually very scared to move from Windows to Mac, like 2002, I don't know, it was a long time ago, was my sense that I would lose control of like the system internals and access to like, you know, configuration files and all this stuff that over time, ultimately, really, I should not be touching. You know, I'm not a developer, let's, let's be clear. And so making that stuff more and more opaque and harder to access actually is probably better for users, better for support, you know, simplifying the overall experience, um, you know, lowering support costs. Uh, and and by the way, uh, listeners, we will get to talk about my Mac Studio experience. We're not going to do it now, but um, yes. I, I, I'm with you in the sense of, like, that was always my fear of... Listen, I'm I'm a command line kid, <laughs> you know. Like, so yeah, right. going into no Alfred, uh, well, I mean, there is Alfred on yeah. um, iOS, but it's not very good. It's a remote app. Yeah. Right? Well, no, it, um, you know, terminal is still there and things like that, but um, um, yeah. I, I the the thing is, is uh, I love the people that um are like, I'm gonna make the iPad be my daily driver is my main device and things like that. And at this point, you know, it, when, when people would talk about that four or five years ago, it was sort of like, Oh, you're a, you're a brave uh, pioneer and stuff like that. But at this point, um, yeah, it's just kind of annoying um, that you can't do the same thing on an iPad. It, it, you know what? It, you know what's annoying about it. I did the story today about um, the Dell XPS and and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that um, <laughs> a MacBook Air is not a detachable device. Mm-hmm. You know, we we should we should be there. And you because you know they're going to do it eventually. It's it's just one we, of those we things. That already with the iPad, you know, iPad right, 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 right. So, anyways. It, whether there's going to be a cohering of these different product lines over time, I imagine in, you know, two to three years, perhaps, but maybe that by that point we'll be, you know, wearing glasses and, you know, it won't be. A, a, uh, yeah, there's that. Um, or, or it's one of those things where you wear glasses and you sit in front of um, a wall and then you type on your desk mm-hmm. in front of you because it's all AR, you know, put up in, in, in. Uh, yeah. A friend of mine actually worked on that. Okay, I have a few more things, you know, that are a little bit um, adjacent to this before we bring on a guest um, that I thought were interesting. So, you, one of the big things. Oh, one one last thing that I want to say about the Apple Social Network is just the sort of I don't know awareness, or again, this is like a little conspiracy. But you know, we talked about the whole CCM um, debacle many many months ago, mm-hmm. um, which was of course when Apple um, put out a plan to scan everyone's phone for child pornography. And if it found it, then it would be, you know, essentially they would look at 
signatures of content on your device before you were uploading it to iCloud. And if you if it was, you know, if there was a hit or a certain number of hits, then eventually that could be reported to the authorities. And what we saw in WWDC was the product in which that feature would have been used, which was the iCloud uh, shared photo libraries. Mm, so mm. I thought it was the interesting sort of culmination of that story, which of course died down months ago because, you know, Apple theoretically moved on or did they not? I don't really know if they're not doing it. Um, yeah. That's unclear to me too. If they are. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't have an answer to that because it is one of those things that got sort of muddled where um, maybe they, yeah. But maybe they backed away. Yeah, it, it kept evolving in terms of what their response to it was. But um, so, so that was one thing. The last thing um, that I wanted to point out was that Apple is moving forward with this Apple Pay Later service, and this is yes, a really yes. big deal. Like, you know, if Apple is going to become a bank again, they're not going to call themselves a bank, but they're going to act and provide you know the job to be done that a bank does, which is to allow people to buy Apple products in installments. That are likely going to be managed through whether but, it's the but Apple Card or some the, Apple the, Finance. The big software. deal is is it's not it's not Apple products. It is anything that you do with it, if you're buying it with Apple Pay. If I went right now and sure. and yeah. and bought a, a a Jackery battery uh, with Apple Pay, they could split it into four payments for me. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership. Access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools. Uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team. Discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology. And learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. Right. But I want to like unpack that a little bit, right? So there's a couple things going on. 
You know, the fact that Apple is getting into more and more of the like financial services, the fact that they're doing more with biometrics and identity, they can rate your fraud risk very accurately based on all the data that they have about you. From right. How you use your device, which is what I said, which is what I said today. Right. Um, Right. So they lower their threat profile in terms of who they're offering these services to, because they are the ones that are actually doing all the biometric authentication. So that puts them in this amazing position to rejigger the whole way in which I think we relate to money and financial services. Imagine getting, I don't know if I want to say like uh, mint style services, but think about what Apple has done with Apple Health and the Apple Watch. And think about doing the same thing to money. The types of services that Apple could provide of financialization is a whole rich area that really not a lot of companies has mined. You know, like uh, Microsoft makes a money product, but it's not like a good consumer app where there are, you know, family services, like where your your literally like your family members are in there. So the fact that Apple is doing that, I think, is very interesting. And again, my conspiracy hat, conspiracy hat was like, what if this is the thing that Apple needs to do to make the <laughs> Apple Car affordable? So you can right, right. actually get a loan right. for the Apple Car in your iOS device or whatever. And this will be the thing that allows you to actually obtain one of the most expensive Apple products that will probably ever be released. And the reason why I think this is because Tesla is already offering loans through their app. So it's just a matter of time before Apple might do the same thing with these new financial services. Right. And so, number one, everyone thinks uh, for years Apple um, focusing on privacy and 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 shiving mm-hmm. everybody else in terms of ATT. And uh, yeah. we're not going to allow other people to surveil you. Well, that's good PR. That's good uh, branding for, for Apple and things like that. But, you know, if they're thinking... Um, seven-dimensional chess-wise a decade down the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like being in that Apple ecosystem and having all the money stuff just kind of be taking care of your kind of, you know, Apple One membership or whatever, it's very compelling from a business, you know, case. And, and the point being that, um, as I said today, they're never going to trumpet the fact that, oh, they know in the same way that Amazon knows what I buy and, and, and then things like that, like just lead with benefit. Right. Right. They're, they're going to know too. Uh, They're going to know where you go. They're going to know if, if with with the Apple car, by the way, they'll know where you go. If you're wearing their glasses on your face and all of it, um, I mean, any, any Apple device, right. Yeah. They have so much useful information to evaluate, you know, the risk profile of users. I mean, I remember, you know, at Uber, one of our biggest expenses was the fact that there was so much fraud on the platform. And of course, you know, trying to get access to that information on the phone, you know, is, is challenging. And so people can create new accounts and they can, you know, spin up lots of other devices. But Apple has a very different vantage in terms of just the relationship to those accounts and to those devices, to your Apple ID, you know, uh, moving forward with biometrics, this passkey thing. Anyways, again, lots of sort of conspiracy thinking, but if you project out a couple of years, this puts Apple in a very different place with regards to having a relationship with users. And if they get used to these installment payment services, you can see how 
that comfort, that familiarity would allow people to take out a much larger purchase for something down the road. And, and allow Apple to do it in a way that is, um, they'll, they'll have more information than a Goldman Sachs, than a Bank of America, because yeah. they, they have exactly. that data, uh, directly from Presumably you. Apple wants to sell the car and not just, you know, make it something that is a, you know, service that's self-driving and it picks you up and drives you around. But anyways, I can see it going both ways. Well, speaking of experiences at Uber, I, I believe that's what you're, you're leading to. <laughs> well, yes. All right, everybody. So I would like to welcome up um, Chris Mattern, who is now the, the CEO, co-founder of Floor NFT, um, has a big announcement today. And Chris is someone who I followed for a long time. Um, actually, when I was at Uber, um, we worked together on, I believe, implementing, because I was on the developer platform, the ability to request a ride through Chris's platform, which was called Button. And Chris previously actually worked at Venmo as well. So he's got experience in the financial services space. And, you know, I just, I've been following along, like, what he's been doing in the NFT space for, for many, many months. And thought it'd be great to actually get him here today on the day, on the day that he's announced um, his his new seed round. Yeah, it, so it, I, I I didn't do I didn't do this story today, Chris uh, M. Uh, but yeah. it it definitely got a lot of chatter um, uh, in various circles today. So congrats! Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, it was so fun back in the day trying to figure out how to wire all of the apps together and just make something that was kind of delightful for for users. And that was a really fun, actually, for me, like a really awesome opportunity because I'd been a fan of yours for quite a long time before that. And uh, all of a sudden you weren't a person I was following on Twitter who invented the hashtag. Uh, you were someone that I got to have meetings with and do stuff with, uh, which was totally. super cool. That's awesome. Well, again, congrats. I mean, this is a really big day for you. I know you've got some of the floor NFT folks um, in the audience. If you want them to come up and also say hello, totally down with that. But, you know, why don't they just kind of, I guess, start, Understanding, like, what drew you to the NFT space? You know, why are you excited about that? Why do you want to build there? I mean, again, I remember, like, in the button space, there was a, a lot of stuff around conversational commerce and voice controls and moving everything into kind of atomic intents that developers could build for. And so that's kind of where you were before. And I think that was a, a growing and explosive uh, ecosystem for a while. Um, and now you find yourself here kind of at the cusp of the web three revolution as it's happening. Yeah. It's, it's such a privilege to get to work here. Um, I'll tell you the kind of ending and then I'll tell you a little bit about how we got there. <laughs> but I think it ties back to what you said, which is the reason we started button like foundationally was that we saw mobile as a moment in time where it might be possible to challenge some of the prevailing market dynamics, which were basically sell eyeballs, take money, consumer is product. And we thought that in the explosion of mobile commerce and you know the phone is the remote control for your life, that we could tie all that together in a way that could make contextual commerce kind of a, prevail a prevailing business model. <laughs> and in particular, make all of the apps on your phone composable and make them be able to interact with each other and build layers on top of them that make them do more for you together uh, than they would do individually. And we all kind of know how it played out. That didn't happen. And it didn't happen because of business models. It didn't happen because uh, inside of Web2, it was in the best interest of everyone to kind of silo their customers, keep them in, uh, build walled gardens. And so 
<laughs> the business of Button survived and thrived, uh, but a lot of the original kind of uh, ethos, I think, ended up you know not being what we ended up being able to see through. And today in NFTs, <laughs> you know what, what I see is not pictures of apes that people sell for tens of thousands of dollars, but rather new foundational constructs of identity and ownership that are truly composable and an ecosystem that's in a stage uh, that is actually interested in building in the open and together in a way that we may have a chance of stacking a few of these things on top of each other in a way that proves valuable before anyone basically tells you that you can't. And then on top of that, we have, you know, an imperfect but very powerful um, kind of customer including business model of tokenization that has proven that it is possible to do things that don't just sell your customers and let them participate. And I think when you put those things together, the version of the internet that we wanted to create for mobile, I feel like we're in a, a very similar moment today for Web3 with kind of composable tokenization, identity and ownership in the form of NFTs. <laughs> but I think this time the deck is stacked kind of more in our favor, where previously, because it was the same companies, the same business models, the deck was incredibly stacked against us in terms of being able to do it. Um, and that's, that's why I'm excited about NFTs. That's why I'm building NFTs. Um, it's, uh, it's an amazing privilege. I definitely appreciate that whole art. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously something that we had maybe hopes and dreams that would have, you know, turned out slightly differently. And now here we are and we're, there's a lot of like hand wringing and kind of wanting to, I don't know, reset the stage to some degree. Can you just tell us a little bit about like where floor is now in terms of it being a product? Um, you know, I'd also love to hear you talk a little bit about your community engagement and how you've, you know, issued NFTs. And I don't know if you've funded some of the development, but certainly I, I should disclose, purchased some of your early um, community NFTs. So I'm already in, um, I've aped in, so to speak. But we'd just love to sort of like, you know, level set with the listeners. What is for? Like, what are you, what problem are you trying to solve? And how are you using your community to kind of co-develop co-develop or co-design what you're doing. Yeah. And we were really excited. Uh, I remember when you bought your token, I was like, yeah, Chris has a token. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think there's a few foundational things. So starting at the very beginning, um, the problem is I, I'm a decently smart guy. Uh, I come from technology. I, I have a degree in computer science and I've been deeply involved in crypto since you know, 15, 16 and when it came to getting into NFTs, uh, which was really just a thing I did out of FOMO, uh, because I saw a ton of folks getting into it, I was like, oh man, I should really go check this out. I found it really hard <laughs> first to like truly just get onboarded, then to kind of get deeper, then to understand the value of my assets, and then honestly to understand just like what the heck is going on. And <laughs> so Floor was my response kind of as a builder to hey, maybe I'm going to like try and see if I can make this a little bit better for myself in a way that maybe can make it better for some other people too. And so <laughs> I posted back in September of last year, hey, I'm thinking about building something that solves this problem. And I think just got really, really lucky. And this original tweet set us kind of on a, on a direction that we've lent into and taken advantage of. But <laughs> you know, if, if we'd have posted about it or I'd have posted about it and no one cared, I think that would have like led to one path, but the internet was really excited uh, about the idea of this problem, or particularly like 
crypto Twitter and NFT Twitter, was really excited about it. <laughs> and so over the next two, three weeks, sorry, I have a lingering cough from uh, COVID a few weeks ago. And so over the uh, next two to three weeks, as we started building the very first thing, we just started building in public. We started talking in the community, talking to like uh, at the time, what were my Twitter followers uh, about, hey, like here's kind of the features we're thinking and here's a screenshot of something that's like half done. And people responded really, really well. And at that point we had a few thousand people who wanted access to the beta. And we weren't ready for a few thousand testers. <laughs> and so I decided kind of on a whim. And honestly, I, I wish I could say it was a really well thought out plan. It kind of just happened and, and you know, happy accident came together. Decided that we'd issue a small set of NFTs. Um, they'd be relatively inexpensive, um, but, you know, side benefit. We could fund the project a little bit. And anyone who bought the NFT would be able to come in and be a tester. And while I was definitely building in public and excited about the engagement, I still had like a very web two mindset uh, as I was thinking about this, which is like, these people are going to be my testers. I'm going to make software. They're going to tell me how I'm doing. And so we, we welcomed 500 people, uh, yourself included, uh, in that first set of testers that was, we were thinking about them at the time. And they came in and we built a Discord and we started building together. And it literally took two days for us to realize that what we had was not a group of testers. It was a group of partners in building this thing. And they weren't just taking software and saying like, hey, this is broken, this is good, this is bad. They were sharing their ideas. And they had ideas of things that they wanted to do to help kind of progress the project. And so very quickly, we moved from being you know, a thing I was making and other people were using to a thing that we were doing together. And so over the six months, seven months-ish, kind of since that happened, we released several other generations of tokens, uh, have welcomed about 3,500 people into that community that has funded kind of the earliest parts of the project. Um, obviously, you know, building large-scale software to attack large problems is expensive. And so, you know, that's why today we announced our $8 million seed round. But those first, you know, $1.5 to $2 million was what really led us in a be in a position where we could bring people in and we could accelerate development and we could reinvest back in the community. And honestly, I, I had originally never intended for Floor to be anything but a side project. <laughs> but between kind of it moving from a thing I was doing to a movement that a group of people were doing and I just like kind of happened to be there with them um, as well as getting deeper into the space and seeing kind of the depth of some of the trust and safety problems, but also the opportunity. And it honestly, as I started this, I, I originally got into NFTs because I was FOMO and I was interested in speculation. <laughs> and it was somewhere along this journey that I realized that what we were really looking at was a new internet was a new way of tokenizing, representing ownership, identity, all of those things. <laughs> and that the things that we were going to be building infrastructure for in floor were not pictures of animals in time, but we're going to be those really important foundational constructs. And so when we realized that both people were really excited, we were really excited and that the, the space and the opportunity is big, uh, we decided to go and, you know, make it our real jobs. And again, that's been a real, crazy fun journey.
So uh, one of the things that's obviously very interesting about like Web3 and these composable Unix um, that are out there in public, you know, and available, you know, thanks to the blockchain as an evolutionary, I guess, you know, construct within building apps. I guess like what I'm wondering about is ultimately when it comes to your community, what you're describing sounds a lot like kind of like an open source project. And I mean, one, I don't think Floor is open source. And two, I suppose there's sort of an interesting dynamic here where you are providing a type of equity to the token buyers, or is it not equity, it's access? Like, help me understand how you ultimately think about those first 3,500 people or so who are brought in, who are helping out, who are contributing ideas. You know, if you didn't have the same structure at Button, how do you make sure that your incentives are aligned with your community, considering you've now, you know, taken in some, you know, venture capital? Uh, you know, I realize yeah. I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I think it's very interesting. No, no, this is, it's, it's super interesting. Um, it's something, obviously, we think about a lot. And so, you know, if you think about the way a VC thinks about a future VC, essentially, you know, future funding sets the value and, like, reinforces and validates the bet that you made earlier. And so the real kind of question is just what's the unit of consideration? Um, in this case, you know, these folks have come in and joined, and the NFT is, you know, it's membership, it's access, and interestingly, it's liquid. So, you know, there's been a ton of people that came in, used the app, decided they wanted the liquidity more than the app, and so they sold the NFT and they got their liquidity back. <laughs> Today, every single person who's ever bought a token could sell their token for certainly more, uh, in most cases, somewhere between 2x and 10x what they bought it for, depending on which token and when. And so <laughs> the first and kind of most simple is the proven behavior that we've started to see is that the market prices uh, NFTs as kind of some function of success and interest in the project. So, you know, the Gen 1 token, which is the first set that uh, we, we sent out, I think Chris is the one that you have, that token has kind of almost become a <laughs> tracker on people's interest in, in the success of the project. And, oh, I hope not. Can you hear me? Uh, I, I can still oh. hear him, Chris. Yes. Oh. Uh, no, I just went off. Oh. <laughs> All right. No uh, Chris M., keep, no uh, keep going. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think one piece is the token price. Basically, project does good, token price goes up, is you know not proven or guaranteed in any way, and certainly we don't guarantee it, but you know, the market dynamic has sort of proved that that plays out. <laughs> the, the next broader question is, you know, what does it mean to be a token holder versus what does it mean to be an app user? And so right now we're at this kind of fork in the road where we want to onboard a million people, 10 million people. And so that means you know, not having a $1,000, $2,000, $10,000 price of admission at the front door, but then we have this token holder community that has obviously paid to be there. And so we, we run these surveys pretty often around, you know, how, how are you finding value in this? You know, what's the most important thing about floor today? And what we found over time is at the beginning, the primary value is the app. And the only value is the app. And 
over time, that started to transition, and today it's actually transitioned to over more, more than half, of people find the primary value in the access to alpha opportunity, trust and safety, discovery, um, and the partnerships that we drive uh, inside of today our Discord, but ultimately inside of the product. And so as I kind of think about the future of these things, um, using the reach that we have from having a consumer product that has hundreds of thousands to millions of people, we use that leverage to go and make sure that we are in all the places that matter inside of NFTs, and we use that to drive value for the original token holders. And that can create a flywheel between those things where uh, our app users actually get additional access because of the weight of the token holders. Token holders get early access because anyone who's building wants the distribution of the platform. And then we layer our trust and safety infrastructure on top of that to make sure that it's safe and no one's getting rugged and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, so, so are you ultimately just like kind of competitive with OpenSea or how do you position yourself in the market? Like, are you ultimately serving the NFT creators, generators and sellers or the buyers? So fundamentally, our first purpose is to create the home for NFTs and a way for them to be understandable and accessible for consumers. So our first customer is the consumer. <laughs> I think in order to do that, um, that does mean discovery and trust and safety both of those things involve project creators. We don't want to be a marketplace. Um, and importantly, I, I think marketplaces are going to fragment massively uh, inside of 2022 and certainly into 2023. And I think that the the role of aggregator and kind of de-multiplexer of those uh, things will be a really, really valuable place to be. And so just as you see like Coinbase and LuxRare and XDY2 and all those things kind of pop up, uh, it's still kind of true that you can basically just care about OpenSea, but it's less true every day. I think as that happens, any of those players' individual ability to kind of create the home for NFTs gets degraded. And the home actually has to be multi-chain, multi-marketplace, as well as providing that kind of on-ramp and that understandability. To what degree, though... Um you know, we, we've just mentioned, or you mentioned, uh, Coinbase and, and, and we're thinking about, um, you know, you're saying you want a million users and things like that. To, to what degree are you thinking in terms of, um, the, 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 the widespread adoption of NFTs? I, I've been sitting in my head on an essay that maybe I'll do at some point about, um, uh, the, my mom problem of, of, uh, the crypto and web three space. And, uh, to what degree are you thinking in terms of, uh, for, for what, whatever you might think of Coinbase, it was a lot of people's sort of on ramp to, uh, crypto. Um, are you thinking in terms of this being, uh, sort of a mainstreaming of NFTs for, for normies and, and folks like that? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about where we are right now is that you can onboard a whole lot of people before you have to start thinking about, you know, people's mothers and grandmothers. Like we're so, so, so uh, inaccessible today. And I actually think um, personally more about crossing, you know, the representation boundaries and the wealth boundaries than I think about crossing, you know, the age and kind of tech savviness boundaries at some level. Um, but I, I think what Coinbase did is Coinbase realized product market fit for crypto, which was the 
custodians stored buying all crypto assets for pure speculation. And you know, I think when you have product market fit, you can create terminology and you can create user experiences and paradigms that make sense to that set of users to onboard them to that pretty simple concept. You know, Coinbase is a, a marvel of user experience, but it's actually quite a simple thing. There's a list of coins and you can buy them and you can sell them. <laughs> I think the challenge that NFTs have today is NFTs have product market fit for nothing except pretty rich people like buying expensive things and like signaling their wealth or in the better cases, signaling their associations and their interests and their identity uh, to the rest of the internet. And there are lots of things that are emerging and show promise, but NFTs have no product market fit. And <laughs> really because NFT is a technology, it's not a product. And I think we'll see lots and lots and lots of products emerge on top of it. And I think the, the first one that I've really seen, or certainly the most recent one, that I think has a compelling argument for, okay, this is a use case that people can understand and therefore they might want it and therefore you can onboard them to it, is, is Stepan. I think Stepan had an explosion of onboarding because people understood what you were asking them to do and why they might want to do it. And so I'm actually... Brian, are you, are you familiar with Stepan? Yeah, I am actually, yes. Okay. You might want to like just provide a little you know, context for that. Oh, me? Yeah, my, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. So Stefan was, um, they coined themselves as kind of move to earn. So the idea was you bought an NFT and then uh, very much like any other kind of step tracker, as you moved within some rules of the game, you'd earn tokens as you walked in the real world. And... <laughs> Yeah, essentially, you know, we, 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 we did a we did a, a whole segment on it um, on, on the show. I think it was last week, uh, both Chris's, but yeah, uh, keep, keep going. Right. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> I, I love Stefan. And, you know, I don't know if Stefan wins or succeeds, <laughs> but I do know that that concept was simple enough, understandable enough, offered enough consumer benefit and slotted into people's lives in a way that they were like, yeah, maybe I'll do that. And essentially, it was creating an NFT as kind of a yield instrument, but then creating some rules and like some real world telemetry that turned that into a game that people actually wanted to play. And so as we think about making NFTs mainstream, there's a bunch of systematic problems that I think we can be part of solving, like trust and safety, discovery, onboarding, you know, how does one self-custody, does one self-custody, all of those things. But then I, I think we're also just looking for and waiting for and going to lean heavily into people making compelling use cases that actually matter to people. And as of right now, it's not our goal to go build those. Uh, we believe and trust that those things are happening. And I, I can think of a half dozen that I think show potential. It's possible that they don't happen in the time frame that we want. And who knows? Maybe we even think about uh, going and building some of those. But I, I think that kind of starts to address what you were saying, which is there's a lot that has to happen in order for this thing to become compelling to a mainstream audience from where we are. So well, given, you know, if Stepin is one of the early examples of a, you know, application of NFTs that you think, you know, might have some uh, broader appeal, what is it that Floor would do to support that project or to promote it? Or would you not? Yeah, so I, I think there's a, a kind of two ways of thinking about that. So one is 
for a floor user? Like, how do you help them discover new things that they might be excited about? And I think that's like a pure kind of discovery algorithm recommendation kind of problem. The other that I, I think about a lot is I think there's a lot of people who are curious and a lot of people who dip their toe into Web3, into NFTs, but get immediately bit and don't know what to do and run away. And so I think Stefan gives you one step in. Oh, maybe that's a name. That's a good name. Uh, and then I think for someone like that, our goal would be, okay, how do we take a platform that's onboarded, call it 250,000 users to the space and help them take that next step of exploration. Like how do we be their branching out point in a way that's safe so that they can explore without getting their hands bitten and then run away and never come back. Uh, Cause I think that happens a lot today or people get so afraid that's going to happen because they hear about it happening to others that they never even try. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you could ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 30 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business. Business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash ride. Want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spend. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. You'll never have to chase down a receipt again, and your employees will no longer spend hours submitting expense reports. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Ramp's also saves you money. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash techmeme. Ramp.com slash techmeme. R-A-M-P dot com slash techmeme. Totally. Brian? Yeah, listen, uh, forgive me, Chris. Uh, I would ask this of, of basically any startup right now, but, um, you know, specifically today, I did a story about, um, NFTs, uh, sales volume being down 75% or whatever. Um, so, 
like I would ask any startup in this current environment, but specifically anyone uh, working in uh, the crypto and Web3 space, if if you're launching into a crypto winter, um, how are you thinking about that? I mean, you know, the crypto winter could last... <laughs> And it could be over by July 4th or so. But um, uh, what are you thinking about the, the current market environment um, that, that you guys are launching into? Yeah, like, don't, don't get me wrong. I feel pretty lucky to have closed our rounds uh, relatively soon before that happened. And I think the, you know, selfishly, I think the dream of anyone, dream is a strong word. I think an, advan- an advantageous situation for anyone who's building on a new disruptive but open-ended technology is to get the opportunity to raise in a bull market and get the ability to build in a bear market. Um, so for us, you know, speaking from a purely selfish kind of floor standpoint, uh, we have the runway to last through, you know, if we need to, almost anything that uh, a reasonable bear market and a winter could look like, you know, that's a couple of years, like, we can we can make that, and you know I have and the team has the resolution that we think that this thing is important enough that it is going to make it out the other side. You know, don't get me wrong; it's always more fun to build an environment where every day the numbers are going up, but you know that's awesome, and it does affect our engagement. Um, the way that we think about that is how is our engagement changing uh, compared to the baseline of something like. How is open sea sales data changing? <laughs> and so what we see is the aspect of community that's built into the product and into kind of the overall offering means that our diminishment of engagement is like 30% of what the diminishment of engagement might be for an open sea because there's other reasons to stick around. <laughs> there are other aspects to the culture other than just kind of pure transactionality and the ability to make money there. I think that, you know, the, the, historical rhetoric is some of the most important things get built during the winter. And totally. I, I hope that makes uh, sense. We can be an example of that. But no, it, it could be could be a month, could be a year. Um prepared for either. And one more for you, Chris. Um and thanks so much for sharing your time um given you know this day. And I know that you did a Twitter space earlier, um you getting over COVID, all the rest. Um what have you sort of noticed about the New York tech scene in this moment? You know, I think there's a lot of conversations about the center or the nucleus of tech kind of moving around and maybe not being, you know, based out of the the Bay Area or Silicon Valley anymore. You're building what ostensibly could be a, a media technology platform or startup out of New York. What thoughts do you have about how that ecosystem has changed or evolved in the last several years? And sort of how does being in New York give you a advantage going forward yeah it's an interesting question um i get this a lot right now with kind of the counter angle of you know how does it feel that miami is becoming this major tech hub and in particular a crypto hub and there definitely is an aspect of you know people seem to like working in crypto and living in places with warm weather particularly if there's kind of beneficial facts and um crypto consideration benefits of being there I think what we can all say is the Bay Area has no particular ownership or leadership in Web3 and that Web2 companies are still largely based there. 
largely out of legacy reasons, I think as workforces get more distributed and people get to live where they want to, not where they have to, um, you know, I think all cities will lose some of their ownership of that, but certainly uh, San Francisco and the Bay Area is. But honestly, like I've been building companies in New York for eight years, nine years now. And I think, you know, what I will say is <coughs> two thirds of, two thirds, maybe two thirds ish of our investors uh, over half are either uh, East Coast based or kind of distributed remote. And so, like, I remember back in the day, uh, fundraising for Button, you go make your pilgrimage to Sand Hill Road, and you, like, walk up and down, and you, like, drop by all the venture firms. And, you know, I think that is very different today than it was um, seven or eight years ago. Like, firstly, it's all remote. But secondly, I think a lot of those folks are distributed. Uh, there's a really great, strong crypto Web3 uh, culture here. And I, I think it's because when you think about the two things that New York has always been strong at is finance and technology and where those two things meet. Um, I think there's a pretty powerful opportunity. And so right now in web three, it feels like New York and Miami are the two places. And I, no one's asked me to go to San Francisco in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, with like consensus and others, like, uh, oddly Brooklyn, uh, specifically can, uh, I'm speaking to you from Brooklyn right now, but, uh, 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 make a case for, um, web three sort of, uh, uh, I don't know what's, what's the, uh, being the capital right now, but, um, yeah, love to hear that. Totally. Well, Chris, once again, thanks so much for coming out, for joining us here. Um, Brian and I are going to talk about his Mac Studio experience, but before you go, I mean, you're free to hang out as well. Um, where can people find Floor? Where can people follow you? Anything else you want to share um, to the Tech Meme Ride Home audience? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, you can you can find me at Chris Madden on Twitter, and you can find uh, Floor at, at Floor NFTs on Twitter. Uh, this is uh, both a pleasure and and honestly. Um, quite a, an honor to join you guys. I, I listen. So it's always cool to join things that you actually listen. <laughs> Thank you. Amazing. Thanks for us. So, well, exciting stuff. Um, I always get to sort of like hear from the founders who are like, you know, building new apps, getting out there. And what I think is actually very interesting, having been part of that floor community, um, uh, you know, sort of as a floater perhaps um, is just the, the approach with Web3 community building does feel different. It feels like it's more inclusive, more participatory. And also I think customers just have a different idea about what they can ask for out of founders. So did I, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see that pattern play out. And and speaking to the New York thing, I've told the story before about how um, I went to several uh, early uh, crypto, uh, meetups and things like that here in New York. I'm thinking specific, I I think I told the story of the Doge one that we went to. Um, and I feel like it was like 2013 or something. Um, because again, early on in crypto, you know, New York is where the money is like the, the, the money capital of the, and so, uh, I, I I think (laughs) the story that I told is that, um, you know, at the end of the event, it was down literally like three doors down from the stock exchange. And then the whole crew went and put, um, a doge, 
uh, sort of mask on the, on the bull, the charging bulls thing on, on, on Wall Street or whatever. Um, but I, I do think that that's an interesting case to be made that, um, especially because now with NFTs, you know, media is also here. So, um, um, yep. I Both do think together, that, yeah, sure. I think that New York is uh, a natural place for, for web three stuff. So, um, should we, should we wrap by, uh, talking about the people? Yeah, so, I feel like you, you, like you've, you've taken on some journey. Yeah. You've been waiting for this next studio and so people have been delayed, yelling, you know, you've been excited about people know, have been yelling at me about not following through on that. So we, we can do that. But yeah. before I do, did you yeah. say, I thought I heard you say offhand recently, do you have a, a Mac, uh, studio display? I have an Apple Pro XDR display. Okay, so it's not it's not the the most recent one. Mm-mm. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Not um, the the webcam or whatever. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, so first of all, what I will say is um, the the real thing that is the most applicable thing that's changed is because you know since the Mac Studio doesn't come with a display unless you buy the. Uh, right. Mac Studio display. Right. Um, I ended up getting a a 38 inch wrap around um, LG uh, monitor wow. that um, uh, Casey Newton recommended. Uh, by the way, um, shout out to him for recommending this one. Um, so that's kind of really uh, what in my day to day driving. What has changed is that now I have this 38 inch display over here, and then I have um, one of my old. Um, I guess it's a 28 inch. Um, uh, are you, you dual wielding then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so by the way, okay. what I'm doing now because I kind of have mm-hmm. to is I'm wearing blue blockers all the time because otherwise, oh. you, you know, I'm just staring into um, the abyss. Well, just a, a blast. Uh, 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 I'm, okay. I'm staring into the sun. Blue light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, okay, so the. Uh, Mac Studio is I, I I got the one with the um the ultra or whatever it is <laughs> chip so it's the heavier one it's the bigger one um the one with the um extra cooling and all that uh everyone wants to know okay does the show process faster uh yes. and it, does it actually like live up to the hype well so it does but it's not in a, in a in a meaningful way which which uh, you got it. Everyone has no, to understand. So, so what are you going from? Right. Uh, okay. Th- this is what I wanted to say. Ultra, whatever. In the same way that we mentioned earlier with the, um, uh, eventually I'll get uh, a new MacBook air is all of my devices, all of my Macs were, you know, pre Apple fucking up the Macs. <laughs> so I'm coming from essentially 2015 and 2016 machines. Um, so, when it used to take, uh, you know, the, the show is only a 15 minute show. So when it used to take garage band, um, let's call it two, two and a half minutes to process. It now does it in 30 seconds. So that, that doesn't, that's pretty good. Yeah. Right. But it's not like, Oh shit. It does it in three seconds. Um, I don't, (laughs) I don't know if I expected that. I think your expectations might've been a little too. No, I, 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 that's what I'm saying. I don't think I expected that. Um, uh, essentially the thing that is amazing and great is, well, 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 actually, so think about the two things 
coming from a 2015 and 2016 device that are the biggest things are I have a an eight terabyte SSD hard drive, right? So I, I'm coming from a fusion drive where it was uh, oh, an SSD wow. mixed with a platter hard drive, mm. and, and then um, that's painful. Well, but also the the biggest thing is is coming to USB C and and Thunderbolt as opposed to USB A, where. Yeah. So Lisa and I both, because, you know, Lisa uh, has, you know, her account on my Macs and things like that. So we, we would, we would install, we would plug in the, um, the, uh, hard drives, the external hard drives that, that we bought to do this transition into the old machine. And it would take four or five hours <laughs> to put your files on there. Oh my God. And then yeah. it yeah. takes less than five minutes <laughs> when you plug it in. To it to this thing with the USB C. The first time I switched over to an SSD on my M1 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and transferred like a you know five gigabyte file or something. Yeah, yeah. It was so fast. Well, and it was like oh my god, what I've been doing with my life. Well, and and uh, more ports because again, I'm coming from an iMac where there were four USB A ports, so there are six. USB-C slash Thunderbolt ports, plus two USB-A ports, plus an SD card reader, and you've got the ports on the front. So it, it is, I've, I've obliquely, you know, made these jokes slash sort of, uh, dragged Apple for this, but oh my God, they gave us ports back. They, you know, it's, yeah, it's so much better. They fixed the things. So, okay. So it sounds like what I'm essentially, saying is that oh i just got a, a modern computer which i which i am kind of saying it does it does kind of sound like that um but but here here's what i'd say is i i i was trying to future proof which is what i did with these 2015 and 2016 things when um apple started to fuck up their computers i was like i i i souped i souped them both up and i was like this is going to last until apple um comes to their senses again. And that a hundred percent worked out um, to the point where apparently Mac OS is not going to support these device, the old devices anymore. Um, so my, my goal here with this machine is to last the better part of this decade. Um, I, 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 I'm going to throw something out there. Uh, I don't know if anyone can help me with this, but what I what I've also realized in consolidating my files, and then I, I do have a larger sort of philosophical point about this. But um, in theory, if I did get a, a MacBook Pro or something, um, I could I could clone this machine if I got a big enough hard drive on the MacBook Pro, and uh, so my laptop and my desktop could be identical machines. And I, I, if anyone is listening. I don't know if you can make Time Machine make that work. Do you know what I mean? Like, so that obviously if I... trying to clone it? Wait, run this by me again? Okay, so right now I'm sitting here at my desktop and I have everything set up beautifully. Um, If I were to buy a MacBook Pro that, say, had a three terabyte hard drive, is it possible? This is what I'm asking. Could I... Does Time Machine work in the way that... Every time I plugged I think in, the answer is going to be no. Yeah, and that to do what you want to do probably requires you to go all in in iCloud, and anything that you want mm. across your machines should be synced 
through iCloud or right. Dropbox or something like that. Because what I'm dreaming of is, okay, I it, if I need to use my laptop, I can just quickly plug it into Time Machine and it 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 no. duplicates my desk. Okay. No. <laughs> One, that won't be fast. And two, that's really not the way to do it. Yeah. Because it's essentially kind of a record of your machine as right. the machine state is um, with the ability to roll back using the journaling function of the drive. And so the way that it does it is by saving diffs of the files. Mm. So it's not sort of like you're syncing everything and it's just mirroring across both places. It, it's yeah, that's not how it works. Well, so here's what, here's what I'm really going to do. Um, basically the whole time I was writing the book and the whole time I had, I started podcasting with the internet history podcast. I, my, my daily driver, my main machine was my laptop um, and now that I'm mostly working from home, my main machine is this uh, Mac Studio that I'm I'm, I'm looking at. Um, so what I think I'm probably going to do is just get the cheapest MacBook Air, um, and because yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think this is to to the point that we were making earlier, where there's now these different products, you know, different price points, but there's starting to be some like seam removal, which, you know, maybe this is just Apple doing their self cannibalization thing that they like to do. Um, you will find that you'll start using these devices for specific purposes mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. That you'll have a bunch of them based on weight or based on form factor or based on pencil usage. And that is kind of how you will live in the Apple iCloud world, as opposed to trying to sync, you know, one desktop computer to a portable laptop, you know, and keeping things in sync that way. Like once you embrace sort of cloud living, it becomes literally like all your stuff is kind of just in a cloud and it kind of opportunistically syncs and you just have to like lean into it. It's a very weird, uncomfortable feeling, but I think that's in your future based on what you're describing. We're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot, literally cannot live or at least work without it. 1Password. 1Password combines industry-leading security with award-winning design to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. 1Password secures every sign-in to save you time and money, any device, any time. 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using 1Password, what, a decade ago? Join me and over 100,000 businesses on board the 1Password bandwagon. Because right now, my listeners get Get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word, dot com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride. Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six 
months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. Yeah, so, I mean, this is part of my thinking, which is, um, why did I get an eight terabyte hard drive? As we've discussed before, you know, I'm, I'm 1200 episodes into the Tech Meme Right Home podcast and, and, you wow. know, raw GarageBand files are, um, large. Oh, yeah. Uh, Huge. which, which again, I, you know, you can buy a $50 external drive and, and back that stuff up and save that stuff. But I, I, you know, basically with this machine, um, all of our photos, all of my music, everything's on here now. Um, and so the idea is, is that again, hopefully by 2028, 20, uh, I can still have enough space and, 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 and be using this machine. And, and that's also this, the super proofing because what I, I got the, the ultra where probably the max was really all I needed. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, all of those, um, graphics cores and all of those cores full stop, um, will future proof me for, um, well, how much are you really using those cores? I'm not I right mean, now, but that's my generating the show. But, but see, that's what I'm saying is that I, I'm not right now. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping so that you add the augmented reality. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, hopefully I, I got enough cores and enough juice, um, that, that it'll take me, um, as far into this decade as we can get. Um, I mean, it sounds like the biggest improvement in your workflow is just getting a bigger display. Well, essentially that, and by the way, I got to tell you, um, this is a great display. Uh, Again, it's a, it's, it's designed for gaming. So it has a high refresh rate, um, um, but it is, you know, after having used a um, an iMac that has whatever the, the, the Apple branding is now, I can tell that it's not a um, a, a, a Retina display anymore. <laughs> not that I can see pixels necessarily, oh, but yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> I real go back. I can definitely tell the difference. Um, so here's here's my philosophical take on this. Which is, and, and this is sort of what you're alluding to, and we're sort of both chiding me about is, um, I, I've told the story before about living in Detroit in the, um, in the early 2000s and being the tech guy at a time when people were like, you know, <laughs> oh, but that's Brian the tech guy, right? <laughs> As opposed to today mm-hmm. when, mm-hmm. um, you know, Detroit is theoretically, uh, in, uh, a, a tech town now. But, um, one of the, th- like, we had this real cultural difference when we talk about things like Brian was the tech guy. And, you know, I, I knew a lot of folks that like, Oh, they bought a new Mustang and they're like, Brian, come over and and take a ride in my Mustang and, and see how amazing it is. Or, you know, and I would do it and it would mean nothing to me. But the thing that I learned was, um, 
the the way that certain types of people think of cars where I get a new car and I feel different about my life. Look at what I can do now. I can go anywhere. I can do anything. <laughs> I I've realized that that is how I've always been about gadgets and computers where we're we're making fun of me because nothing's really changed, but I get this machine and I'm I'm like, oh, what? Lisa, come in here. Look at what I can do now. And she's like, yeah, you could do that before. But it <laughs> feels like that's my nerdery. And, and, and I'm not disparaging car nerds. I mean, I'm not disparaging nerds of any stripe. But I feel about a new clean device the same way that people feel like about a new car where it's like, well, I, I the, the the sky's the limit now. I can do anything. <laughs> My horizons have exploded when really they haven't. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I, at the same time, though, I mean, going from an Intel chip to the M1 <coughs> was revelatory. You know, um, I'm I'm sitting in my new shed now. And so the sun is beating in on my laptop. And this is the first time that I've heard the fan go off in like a year and a half or so. So the fact that it used to be just like de rigueur, you know, the machine would get so hot and it would just like freak itself out uh, all the time. Mm. And now I don't have to worry about that. Oh, we should. I, I, listen, I should I should be clear. I was getting the beach ball all the time recently um yeah, with that yeah, old machine see, I, don't, I don't get that anymore yeah yeah so i mean it, it it was necessary but here's the other thing um because i do this every three or four years with my phone too where you just start from scratch um and and that was purposely yeah, I was my, ask you did yeah, you do a clean slate exactly you... that was 100 percent also the point of this because i'm pretty sure um i had been uh, installing from um, a time machine backup uh, every time um, for this desktop for for the iMac. So essentially, I was using the same machine that was my first iMac back in two thousand eight. Right? Oh my god! Right? Because wow, so I, much craft. Well, that's the point. Is um, that also makes you feel like? Uh, listen, this is this is what I'm copying to. Uh, the comedian Pete Holmes has a bit where he's like, I love it when a new iPhone comes out because I know I can't die until I get mine. <laughs> like, he's he's making sort of like a um, existential point of like, well, I, I, I'm not going to get hit by a bus tomorrow because I don't have my new iPhone yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, mm-hmm. that's, you know, uh, that's part of what I've been experiencing, which is, all right, I'm I'm making sure that I have every file that I need. I haven't traded in my old iMac yet. It's been sitting here for two weeks because I want to, you know, give my ch- myself the chance to be like, oh, I forgot that file or whatever. But yes, starting fresh, um, having a bigger hard drive than I could possibly need right now and feeling like, well, th- this chip can handle anything that I'll throw at it for the next five years um, is is part of that feeling of like, my life is sort of like not a clean slate, but like I'm I'm starting fresh and new and like people think yeah, when they I get mean, a new Mustang or something. It's like, well, I know you haven't moved in a while, but the fact that I just moved into a new house, it's like the same thing. It's like, yeah. you know. Oh, it's totally that. Oh, it's totally that. Stuff I can install. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, what, adult Roblox. I, I I tried to I tried to rationalize, you know, my document file system and, and all that good stuff. Um 
so I, I I would say I'm not. This is not me coming here to be like, oh, the the Mac Studio will uh, change your life. You should get one immediately. But uh, maybe just <laughs> it it is it is a fun and healthy thing to do to just get a clean computer every now and again, and 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 feeling like you you've you've put all your ducks in a row and and your 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 total life in order. Um, can I give you one, uh, big complaint again, if anyone's listening, that can help me with this, you, you want to know, and, and, and this is, people are going to think I'm a giant asshole more than they already do that I spent all this money and I'm going to have this problem. But so think about it. Um, it's not an integrated display anymore. I can't control where the sound is coming from because I don't know. What do you mean? Okay. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Apple doesn't conform to that sort of um, whatever the standard is that allows you to control the sound on a, a different device. So, okay. By default, the sound comes out of the crappy. I didn't even know the Mac studio has speakers, but it does. Right. But yeah, so yeah, then I, I try to shift the sound to my 38 inch screen and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but also I can't control, I can't mute or control the volume on the keyboard. I have to literally reach under the screen to control the volume. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No way. Now, and then the thing that I've been encountering is that then I have this side monitor over here. And even if I mute everything that I can think of (laughs) this morning, uh, messages, the, the, the little chimes from, uh, you got a new message from Chris Messina or from your wife. It was coming in on, on, on my side monitor and I couldn't turn that off. So, okay. I spent all this money and because I don't have an integrated display with this machine, I'm having a hard time <laughs> controlling where the sound is coming from. I think it's, possible I, you know i don't want to speak on turn because you know lg is a totally different thing um but there are some controls if you hold down option maybe and you click on the speaker you might be able to make some changes um like i will agree with you though there are some problems and controlling the sound is hard especially because airplay wants to be able to play your audio oh yeah in all sorts of wireless it wants me to play it on the uh apple tv downstairs yeah right yeah so they've changed a lot of that plumbing and i think as a result that's possibly why you're struggling a little bit i also there's there's uh, before people at me there are apps to control this sort of thing the problem is is that the most of them are not updated for apple silicon um so Whatever, I can't think of offhand the name that the app that everyone uses to to, yeah. to handle this problem. Um, oh, it's um, it's a Rogue Rogue Amoeba. Um, they have a bunch of products in the space. In fact, that's what I'm using to to record this episode. Mm. Um, I'm using um, Audio Hijack. Um, mm. They have a number of tools, or at least one, that will allow you to control your audio and set it up however you want. And that I think is actually updated. To Apple Silicon, definitely check it out. Okay, well, so see, there you go. This is this is why I have a podcast so that people can <laughs> tell me, yeah, yeah, how to how to fix things. Um, yeah, that's it. I'm I'm happy with it, uh, and um, it's been fun to do it. And my daughter wants the old iMac off of her desk, um, so uh, I 
hopefully we'll get my um Apple trade in giant box. Uh, I've done that a couple times. Have you have, have you ever done that where uh only done with the phone. Oh no, see, I've done this twice with IMAX where um they will send you a gigantic box and then the last time I did it I was already living in Brooklyn and I had to walk down the slope to to the to the post office uh down on 5th Avenue with my giant iMac in a box <laughs> so I I walked the better part of uh a mile down there um yeah, yeah. It, uh That's but 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 hey, you can do it. It's not like I have to, you know, put a, a giant uh uh twenty-eight inch screen uh in the trash. But um True. Uh Okay, well I sent you the link to yes. an app that you should try. It's called uh Sound Source. And that one might be the one that you want. I'll actually pin to the space as well. Um I also pinned the animation of the speed of how fast when I actually got an external SSD um, with a comparison with what it was before, and you'll you can take a look, you'll see how much better it is. Uh, yeah, well, anything that'll solve my problem would would be great. Actually, you know what? The weirdly, the solution is is if you just wear your um, AirPods all day long, um, that takes over the sound, and then it doesn't even matter. All the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, whatever. Uh, yeah. So, um, thank you for <laughs> listening to my, my, uh, Mac studio journey. I, I'm sorry if it was not as, um, uh, I, I feel like everyone was like, oh, you're going to tell us that, uh, it's cut a half an hour out of your, uh, podcast production time. And it hasn't, but, um, I don't know. Like I said, this is, this is why we're geeks is, uh, it, it makes us feel good to do weird things like this. Well, so, I mean, you know, save yourself two to five minutes a day, you know, over the next thousand episodes. It'll save you a good amount of time. That's true. When, uh, when you're doing a thousand of anything, um, it, it does <laughs> it does make a difference. That's so. Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. I'm looking forward to uh, other people's reactions to WWT as the stuff comes out. Um, I'm very curious if my, of course, conspiracy conspiracy theories play out. We'll see. But uh, and this the show is going to come out on Saturday. Indeed. Um, and uh, thank you to uh, our other Chris guests. We're having too many Chris's on uh, recently. I know. Yeah. It's like a circular problem. It keeps coming back around. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, I, I think I've gotten in the habit of saying I love everyone recently. So I'm going to say that again. You see that once. <laughs> I love everybody. Thanks for listening. All right. Thanks, Brian. Later. Thanks, everybody. See you guys next time.